0: Well, good morning. Let's see, that usually implies, you know, y'all say good morning back. <laughs> good, morning. good morning. That's better. Yes, no, it's my, oh, got a mic. Yeah, is it not working. It's y'all do realize that um, I feel like my seat's lower than it normally is, but um, that when a pastor or evangelist or a preacher preaches that, the message isn't just for you. It goes through the preacher first. And I have to deal with the stuff that I preach to you. It's not just me pointing a finger at y'all and say, this is what you're supposed to do. It's also something that God expects for me to do as well. So um, I don't get a pass on that. That's what I'm trying to say. If you will, and I hope you will, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 40. Uh, each year, one of the things that I do is... Ah, me and technology just do not get along. I should just go back and just use, use my... Um, bible all the time i keep my bible up here just to make sure you know that i do use the word of god as my authority when i preach but i've gotten spoiled by this ipad because it's so bright and i can use large fonts and so i can see better so anyway all right so psalm 40 verses 1 through 5 And the question that I'm posing to you today is a sermon title is, Why Wait? Okay, so let me read to you first. David said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, and many will see and fear and trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust, and has not turned to the proud, nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done, and your thoughts towards us. There is none to compare with you. That's a good place to say amen, by the way. All right. I'm going to expect a little participation from the backstage crew today, all right? In fact, I understand, and I need to finish reading, but back in the olden days, they used to have an amen corner where there were guys, I guess, hired to say amen and stuff and hallelujah and preach it and all that sort of thing. Well, I just think we ought to have an amen sanctuary, and that way we wouldn't have to put everybody up here on stage. So, point made. All right, thank you. Thank you. Good one. First one in the amen corner. All right. Let's see. There is none to compare with you. Now, listen to this. This is awesome. If I would declare and speak of them, all the good. This is talking about all the good things that God had done. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. May God add his blessing and favor to the reading of his word. Almighty God, precious Heavenly Father, you are so absolutely awesome. And we just want to ask and pray that you would speak to our hearts this day. Actually, Father, that shouldn't be our prayer. Because you do speak to our hearts. Our prayer should be, open our hearts that they might hear what you have to say. Open our minds that we might understand what you're trying to teach us. Enable our bodies to serve you and to act upon the things that you call us to do. Waiting is not something that is easy for us as human beings. And as time moves as it is moving and technology moves as it is moving, we want things faster and faster and faster. But Father, you are in no way bound by the pace of this world this world is bound by your pace may we learn that and live by that for it is in jesus holy and precious name that we do ask and pray these things amen and amen you know y'all this is Not going to work because I am lower. So do y'all mind if I take a pastoral moment and raise my little stool? All right, let me turn this back on. For those of you that don't know, I've had a few surgeries. That's why I have to sit down and preach. It's not because I'm trying to be Cool or hit with these, uh, younger pastors that like to do that thing because I am a pacer. I love to preach and walk back and forth, back and forth. But if I did that nowadays, my sermon would only last three minutes, and I know you would be so disappointed. In fact, uh, I had surgery a week ago Friday, and I was talking to the, um, doctor about you know me being able to uh if i'd be able to preach today or not because chris had asked me to fill in for him and i told him yes before i talked to the surgeon and she said well if you keep it short and sweet and i just said okay but i didn't say i would keep it short and sweet i just meant okay i heard her so anyway we're going to talk about waiting on God, and if it's worth it or not, and weight is a word that is not particularly in our vocabulary anymore, because we really do, we want things right here, right now, and we want them immediately, I mean, it still amazes me that you can order something online and literally get it the next day. I mean, it's, uh, I'm over 30, in case you were wondering, actually over 40, I'm approaching 60. All right, let's put it that way. So I remember three or four weeks it took to get something, and you were tickled to death if you got it then, in that amount of time. so. But we, in this day and time, especially when it comes to praying, we think of God more as an ATM machine, okay? And that he has somehow issued every one of us a debit card that we can go to him in prayer and expect the money to come out of the machine or whatever it is that you're praying for. You're expecting it to come out immediately, And you know what I thought would be cool? That if God was like that, and he did operate as a debit machine does, an ATM machine does, except we would have to deal with the spiritual aspect of it, that there would be times, and I think times more often than not, that when we went up to put our debit card into the ATM machine, a little slip of paper would come out and it would say insufficient funds. Or even worse, that a little slip of paper would come out and say insufficient faith. And then the ATM machine would shred up our debit card. Because that's where most of us would fall. But yet our expectations are on the other extreme. We have this sense of entitlement with God that because we go to church, because we may give an offering or give a tithe, because we may serve Him in some capacity, that we are entitled to go to Him in prayer and not make requests but make demands. Now, we will spiritualize those demands. We will throw in some spiritual jargon and spiritual rhetoric and, and maybe some, well, I doubt y'all do the thee and thous, but I've known people that would pray, you know, thou God, thee God, that, that sort of thing. Like if you prayed in the King James Version, you were more likely to get what you were praying for than if you prayed in the uh, New American Standard or in the NIV version. So, anyway, so the ATM idea is not a good concept because we don't get to design it. So if that's what you think of God when it comes to prayer, you need to erase that and get that out of your mind because the Bible teaches us to wait. David started in this song by saying that he waited patiently. You know, that's a redundancy patient means to wait to endure waiting means to have patience so it's either saying i patiently paid um, i patient patiently waited for the lord or i waited waitedly for the lord it's a redundancy and the redundancy there is an emphasis about how important it is to wait on god's timing See, God has this thing called omniscience, which means he knows everything. He knows everything in the past. He knows everything in the present. He knows everything in the future. And somehow in his omniscience that he's able to work all that together, not just for my life individually, not just for each of your lives individually, but for this world collectively And that is incomprehensible to the human mind. I don't care what you say and how you may try to explain it. We can't comprehend that. I don't see how he can keep up with my life when I can't keep up with my life. And he does. But he still tells us that we are supposed to wait on him. And what we have here between believers and God is a battle of the wills. His will versus my will. His will versus your will. And when you really want to think about it, and you put it in perspective, it is so silly of us to even engage in something of that nature It is absolutely ridiculous, because we are pitting ourselves in a battle against the creator of this universe, who didn't have to take things and mold them and put them together, who simply spoke things into being. He said, and it was, and he saw that it was good, about everything. He said he said that it was and it was good now how are you or how am I ever going to win a debate with God? how's it going to happen? it's not it simply isn't going to happen so you need we well, you see we we need to turn our wills into wants meaning that we are going to wait on God and his will for our lives and so David said that he waited patiently for God and this is another interesting thing about the book of Psalms is that you know David in this verse starts out by saying he waited patiently for the Lord but like I said Psalms is not the um, happy cheery book that everybody wants to say that it is because everybody emphasizes Uh, the latter part of the Psalms where David gets to the part where he praises God and thanks God for everything. But usually David starts out a Psalm by saying, God, would you please squish my enemies like bugs? I mean, like if you see a cockroach going across your floor, you don't want to say, here, little cockroach, here's your crumb of bread for you to eat. No, you want to go over there and squish that sucker flat well, maybe not so flat that it's going to be really gross cleaning it up, but you don't want it to be able to move anymore. And that's what David wanted God to do to his enemies. He literally wanted God to annihilate his enemies, and he wanted God to annihilate them immediately. But it's like during the psalm, it would work out in his mind like he thought through it a little bit, and he would start by getting this attitude of praise and basically saying, God, I'm going to let you take care of it. In other words, God, I'm going to wait on you. And so this concept of waiting on God means that we are going to be willing to endure the circumstances that take place while we wait on him. And the fact is it's hard because we don't like to wait. We don't want to wait. Uh, because there's this, there's this urge that we have to have things right now. Bless you. And that we need to get them on our terms. But again, that's trusting in our will versus God's will and thinking that we know what is best for ourselves than God does. But let me tell you something. God loves you more than you love yourself. He does. He loves me more than I love myself. We're supposed to love ourselves. We're supposed to care about ourselves. I don't mean that in an arrogant, prideful way, but we're supposed to care about who we are in our being. And the point is, waiting on him is going to be something that will help us out even during the tough times. Because David said, when he waited for God, that uh, God inclined to him and heard his cry. Now, this word incline, this inclination here, is a very important word here because it means that God, in a sense, leaned down to listen. See, that reminds us that we are lower than God you do comprehend that. We are not on a peer-to-peer level with God, and it's not that God's just like here and we're here. I mean, there's, uh, there's an infinite distance as far as knowledge and being and everything between God and us, but yet he said he inclined to me and he heard my cry, he heard my prayer. David was really big on not just offering up superficial words with no meaning. I mean, he used supplication, which is basically begging God. He would pray consistently. i mean those are if you can go through the book of Psalms and just use some of david's prayers as guidelines for your own prayers but and then so David was in a bad way again because of his enemies that were constantly berating him and in verse 2 it says he brought me up out of the pit of destruction out of the miry clay and he set my feet upon a rock making my footsteps firm in psalm 27 verse 14 it tells us to wait for the lord to be strong and let your heart take courage yes wait for the lord now Do any of y'all know what miry clay is? I used to live in Missouri. Uh, My dad was in the Air Force, and so we traveled around. And there was a creek down below the house where we lived on base. And so we uh, played in that creek a lot. And I should have known then, this was probably about the third grade, that God had destined me to be in the ministry, even though I had no idea what the ministry was. Didn't go to church except when my mom would drop us off at vacation Bible school to get rid of us for a week and that sort of thing. But, uh, so a lot of it didn't take place. But one day we were down there playing in the creek. And one of the things that was common and we were warned to watch out for were water moccasins, which are also known as cotton mouths because of their white mouth. Well, we were playing in the creek, and I'm not exaggerating this one little bit. All of a sudden, a cotton mouth came out on the water and opened its mouth, or either it was on the bank. Either way, I saw its white mouth, and I don't think my feet touched the water. I did not walk on water. I ran on water because I was scared to death. But the point is, in that creek was this white clay stuff, It was really gross, but when you would stand in it, you would sink, and when you would try to move, it wasn't quicksand, but when you would try to move, it would suck you further into it, and so we'd have to be ready to pull one another out of it when we were in it, because we like to sink up in it and stuff, and so that's what David is saying about him, that he was in that miry clay. He felt like his life was sinking And there was nothing he could do about it. Because that's the thing about miry clay. If you're by yourself out in the middle of a creek or a river or whatever David was in, I mean, you cannot get yourself out if you don't have anything to grab a hold of. But yet God grabbed a hold of him and took him out of that miry clay. That hopeless situation, the situation that he waited on God to rescue him, And he set his feet upon a rock, making his footsteps firm. Now, God's not going to take you out of miry clay and set you on a slick rock so you slide and bust your bottom. God's going to put you on a rock that is solid, and you're going to feel secure, and you're going to know that you have been rescued by the mighty, almighty God. And that's what David is wanting us to know. That if we are willing to wait on God, that he is going to do things for us. Though one of the consequences of waiting is that it can be very painful. David said in Psalm 69.3, he said, I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail." While I wait for my God. There are times that we feel like God has deserted us. Have you ever been there? You've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed. Maybe you've even fasted. You've gone to church. You've been reading the scripture. You've been doing everything you spiritually know how to try to get God's attention. Yet it feels like your prayers are falling on deaf ears. And then God isn't listening. And even worse, you get this sensation because the enemy is going to pounce like a cat on a mouse. And the enemy is going to pounce on you and say, God doesn't love you. God doesn't care. Because if he did, he would have already answered your prayer. He would have already rescued you. I point you to a character in scripture. Who is one of my favorites, and that's Joseph. And God had told him at one time that he was going to exalt him in a mighty way. And you may know the story, and I gotta really abbreviate it. This has got a little clock on it somewhere. Eleven twenty. I'm doing good. Alright. So, uh, because I was told I got till one. Yeah, you laugh at that. You won't laugh at my jokes. But, uh, like, yeah, that's right, Brother David. You'll be here at one, but we won't. But, uh, God told Joseph at an early age that he was going to exalt him at a point in time in his life. Well, from that very point in time in his life, everything went just crazy bad for Joseph. I mean, he told his brothers this. He wasn't bragging about it. You know, he had this fancy coat. I don't know. uh, Maybe a super nice leather coat, coat of many colors. And his brothers were so stinking jealous of that, that they were trying to figure out a way to get rid of Joseph. And they were going to kill him. But these brothers were very, very um, financially minded. And they decided it would be better to sell him into slavery than to kill him. At least get a little money out of the situation. And so he went to Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife accused him of, accused Joseph of raping her. He got thrown in prison, and all this kind of stuff went down. And so Joseph went through a period of 13 years. Now, you imagine this. God told him, I am going to exalt you one day, and you're going to be mighty, and people are going to bow down before you. Now, he interprets some dreams for a cup maker and a bread maker and that sort of thing while they were in prison together, and yet he was in the deepest, darkest, dungiest part of the dungeon. I don't know if dungious is a word, but I thought I would make it up. So he was in the worst part of the dungeon, and things weren't looking so good. Thirteen years, and you got to be thinking, here he is, filthy as can be, and he's got to be thinking, all right, God, you said you're going to exalt me. If this has exalted me, What's it go? what would it look like if you were punishing me? It's got to be ten times worse than this. And so, one day the king heard about that Joseph could interpret dreams. So they got Joseph all cleaned up. I think about, you know, those makeover shows where they take somebody and they look one way, then they bring them out and they look like a movie star and all that sort of thing, and a matter of an hour well they did this with joseph so he come out of that deepest darkest dungiest part of the dungeon and now here he is standing before the king of egypt the pharaoh and the pharaoh told him about this dream he had been having and instead of you know, trying to look out for himself, I said, oh, king, everything is going to be absolutely wonderful. Because that's what all the king's uh magicians and dream interpreters and, yes, people did. They all told the king that everything was going to be cool. Well, Joseph said, you know, this is what God has told to me. And so he told the king what all went down. You can go back and read the whole story. And so one night, He's in the deepest, darkest, dungeon. you notice I'm using that word as much as I can, part of the dungeon. The next day, he is cleaned up in the finest of clothes. He interprets the dream for the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh makes him the number one person under the Pharaoh in all of Egypt, which basically meant all of the world at the time. After 13 years of waiting on God, after 13 years of trusting in God, after 13 years of enduring unspeakable lies and pain and suffering that he had gone through, one night he changed everything. One night God changed everything. Now, we can look at that and say, well, that wasn't fair for God to make him wait 13 years. Who are we to decide what's fair and what's not fair? God knows his plan. God knows his reasoning for the things that he does. And so, Joseph had this oppor- I don't have, I just got to say this. Joseph had this awesome opportunity because his brothers came back to they came uh, to the palace, and they were coming to beg for food and that sort of thing. And they didn't recognize Joseph. He'd been gone for 13 years, and now he was all decked out in Egyptian clothing, etc. And, and Joseph knew them, but they didn't know Joseph. He had the perfect time to really stick it to his brothers for selling him in to slavery and then the rest that followed. But you see, Joseph was a little bit like David. If he was going to count all the things that God had done for him, he would have said they were too many to number. If you go into the book, I believe it, oh my goodness, I can't believe I just went, like I believe it's the Gospel of John. And he said, if I were to write everything that Jesus has done while he was here on the face of this earth, I suppose that all the books of the world could not contain it. I mean, that is awesome. And that's what this is talking about, Dave, what David is talking about in the book of Psalms. And I think that's what Joseph felt, and that's why he didn't do that. He in Endure, and so waiting is important in the endurance of it. Because in Isaiah 40:31, you probably got something at home, or a picture, or a little eagle that says this. In Isaiah 40:31, says, "Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired." They will walk and not become weary. In Lamentations 3.25 of all places. Says the Lord is good to those who wait for them. For, excuse me. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the person who seeks him. I don't know what you might be dealing with. I don't know what you might be struggling with. And I know life oftentimes seems very, very unfair. But God, for some reason, wants us to wait on Him. Waiting on God, this is a thought that He gave me uh, a long, 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 long time ago, that patience, are waiting is something that can really build Christian character. It really proves if you're in this thing with God for the ATM card, or if you're in this thing with God because you want a relationship with Him, because you want to know Him, you want to love Him, you want to serve Him. In fact, Jesus made it perfectly clear that the greatest of all the commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you really feel that way about God, then you're going to be willing, we're going to be willing to wait on Him. And in that waiting, when we're praying, when we're seeking, when we're asking, when we're knocking, and he says no, and the wait is over, we're going to be cool with that because we know he knows what is best for us. So is waiting on God worth it? I'd ask Joseph, and I think he would tell you yes. Is waiting on God worth it? I'd talk to David, and I think he would tell you, yes and a lot of people that are your friends would tell you that waiting on him is worth it so if you're in a holding pattern if you're in a waiting pattern endure wait on God and let him add another thing to your life that you can count as a work of God. Let us pray.